Good afternoon, I'm Dennis Vittorian and this is the 25th hour helping you remember everything that happened beyond the 24-7 news cycle in under an hour. Now in this week's news for the week of June 27th to July 3rd, 2021, Catherine Garcia is right behind Eric Adams with new numbers released by the City Board of Elections after a recent snafu. A historic budget was approved by de Blasio and the City Council. Voters don't want Cuomo kicked out despite incoming subpoenas against the governor. Biden is planning to go on a 4th of July COVID victory tour despite not being totally out of the woods with the spread of the Delta variant. The House voted to create a January 6th select committee and the Supreme Court continued to hand down key rulings. Now onto the show, things may have changed by the time you hear this. Starting with de Blasio. City public health officials continue to urge residents to get vaccinated as the more infectious Delta variant spreads throughout the city, comprising 44% of new cases from last week. 51% of all city residents are fully vaccinated. The number of vacant space in New York City's office buildings are at an all-time high despite businesses coming back to their pre-pandemic groove. Almost 90% of Manhattan's office space isn't filled and some leases are still being dropped as workers are looking for flexibility in the post-COVID era. Continuing the celebrations in the city, Mayor de Blasio said that he is adding a number of celebrities to the comeback concert happening in Central Park this August, including Bruce Springsteen, Jen for Hudson and Paul Simon. An unofficial tally of the ranked choice vote count by the City Board of Elections shows Eric Adams still in the lead, but on a much tighter margin with former Sanitation Commissioner Catherine Garcia right on his tail by 15,000 votes, with more than 120,000 absentee ballots yet to be added to the count. There was a brief snafu involving the City Board of Elections when they released a defective preliminary vote count, which included more than 135,000 test votes. Eric Adams immediately threatened to throw the results of the election into question, reminding some of a certain former president, and filed a lawsuit to get a judge to oversee the vote count. Maya Wiley and the other candidates are yet to concede the race waiting for the official results to come out and Wiley also filed a proactive lawsuit that would let her challenge the results of the ranked choice vote count, which would include petitioning a judge to order a hand count of the results, which would only prolong the answer to the questions of who will be New York City's next mayor. In other races, it seems that the New York will no longer have to wait to find out who their next Manhattan District Attorney will be as an updated vote count has shown former Chief Deputy Attorney General Alvin Bragg in the lead ahead of former prosecutor Tally Fahardi and Weinstein, who subsequently conceded out of the race. Although Bragg has to still win the general election against his Republican opponent in the November election, he's effectively a shoe-in considering New York's blue tilt. Mayor de Blasio and the City Council negotiated a record high budget for the city for a record almost $99 billion plan for fiscal year 2022, which starts in October of this year. Dubbed as the city's, quote, recovery budget, the plan includes a $2.8 billion rainy day fund, $24 million to hire people from economically distressed neighborhoods, $57 million to support former convicts reentering society, $11 million to help guide small businesses through city regulations, as well as additional investments in schools and community policing projects. De Blasio was questioned by one reporter about whether the city was over relying on federal relief funds, but the mayor did an answer. De Blasio also defended not hiring any more police, downplaying the increase in gun violence in New York City. A new Comptroller's report detailed how about 5,700 water fixtures in schools, including water fountains, faucets, water bottle refilling dispensers, and more, sat idly sometimes for years, waiting for repairs for a multitude of reasons, including for lead. Only 10% of the fixtures were actually dealt with and had follow-up testing a month after. Nearly double the amount of preschool slots from last year will be available to three-year-olds this year, with 33,000 free spots up for grabs. Meanwhile, the number of sign-ups for the city's summer enrichment program meant to catch kids after the pandemic caused their academic careers to stagnate is expected to surpass 200,000 students, far more than the city anticipated. After an outcry about the city not providing school buses for homeless and disabled students back home from school, the city agreed to pay for taxis that ferry those students back home from summer school. The Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance unveiled a grand jury indictment against former President Donald Trump's company 
company, the Trump Organization, and its longtime CFO, Alan Weisselberg, alleging tax frauds concerning with how the company reported its taxes and how, in reality, it left out Weisselberg's, quote, fringe benefits, including paying for Weisselberg's grandchildren's college tuitions, giving Weisselberg the use of a rent-free Upper West Side apartment, and B&W leases for his wife. Although the charges are rather low-level for all of the fanfare built up ahead of the charges against the Trump Organization, is reportedly a ploy to get Weisselberg to cooperate with the district attorney in its ongoing investigation against the company. Weisselberg surrendered to the DA's office after charges were announced, and he pled not guilty in court this week. Weisselberg's lawyer and Trump himself denied the charges as a political witch hunt. The police department said that it's going to deploy more police officers for the July 4th holiday in order to combat an increasing number of reckless driving. De Blasio announced that anyone who wants to reach out to the city and request homeless services or mental health assistance for someone they see in the subway, they can just dial 311 in an attempt to divert away the attention of utilizing police against homeless individuals. The mayor also said that dozens more police officers are being added to Times Square after another shooting wounded a tourist in the area this week. Ending a saga revolving around the Lucerne Hotel in the Upper West Side, single homeless adults are being moved out of the hotel back to congregate homeless shelters. Residents were notoriously against the hotels housing the homeless, pointing to outside drug use and nuisances while the homeless were being protected from COVID by staying at the Lucerne. The MTA has unveiled the subway car of the future, a new model of subway car that will begin replacing old subway cars by the end of next year, mostly on the AC line. The agency had made a $1.4 billion purchase from Kawasaki for 500 new cars with an open design and were marred by delays in delivery. As with the other races, most are too close to call as ranked choice voting tabulation keeps going, especially in the city council races. Over at the Cuomo administration, following Governor Cuomo's rescission of the state's emergency COVID declaration, nursing home workers are reportedly confused about which guidelines and protocols to follow as the health department pointed to expired recommendations. The health department said in response to one nursing home staffer's email that there is no new guidance at this time. Cuomo has backed away from establishing a COVID memorial in Manhattan's Battery Park City neighborhood after residents complained about the amount of green space the monument was going to take up. The governor also signed into law a measure that would prohibit government bosses from firing workers who got sick with COVID. A Siena College poll found that 45% of registered New York voters actually oppose an effort by the Assembly to impeach Cuomo for his nursing home and sexual assault scandals, but 35% would support a move to get rid of him. The strongest choice for voters would be for Cuomo to finish his term but not run for re-election. Although incumbent Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown is prepared to ramp up a write-in campaign against India Walton, who he lost to in the primary, Buffalo News reports that Brown isn't enjoying the support he would have had since day one, as either Walton is coalescing support around her, or Brown's friends are remaining silent, which includes Governor Cuomo. Fast food workers throughout upstate New York had their minimum wage boosted to $15 from $14.50 as part of the state's gradual minimum wage increase scheme already in place. Cuomo has also placed a signature on a law that creates a settlement fund with money collected from pharmaceutical companies alleged to have profited off of the opioid epidemic in New York after Attorney General Letitia James announced a $230 million settlement with Johnson & Johnson. Over at the state legislature, the Assembly's Impeachment Committee Chairman Charles Levine announced a series of subpoenas that will be issued in the midst of the committee's investigation of Cuomo's sexual assault allegations, as well as empowering the law firm Davis Polk to take sworn testimony. The law firm has already collected 100,000 pages of records. Davis Polk has also reportedly declined to interview state troopers who worked on Cuomo's security detail. Over at the state judiciary, the New York Civil Liberties Union sued the state corrections department this week asking a judge to compel the release of records pertaining to how the department uses facial recognition software on visitors to prisons. Nyklu is alleging some visitors were denied visitation after being identified by the technology, but the corrections department does not mention the technology to the public and has cited exemptions to the Freedom of Information law in denying releasing records to the NYCLU. A group of municipalities in New York State are suing the Cuomo administration, saying the governor's appointing of a panel deciding where solar and wind farms are going to be located infringes on the local government's home rule rights or the right for those localities to make development decisions for their own residents. 
Over at the Biden administration, despite the president's goal of getting 70% of the population inoculated with at least one shot of the COVID vaccines failing, and with the more contagious Delta variant spreading, Biden-Harris and other White House officials are planning to go across the country during the 4th of July to do an America is Back Together tour. The CDC said that 15 million people have missed their second dose of the COVID vaccine as of June 16th, but the agency said that it was to be expected. Some are worrying that Biden is going to proclaim victory against COVID too soon on July 4th, despite Biden not being able to reach his goal. I am concerned that people who have not gotten vaccinated have the capacity to catch the variant and spread the variant to other people who have not been vaccinated. I am not concerned there's going to be a major outbreak, in other words, that we're going to have another epidemic nationwide, but I am concerned lives will be lost. Biden certainly breathed a sigh of relief as the latest job numbers released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics showed employers adding 850,000 jobs in June while the unemployment rate ticked up by a tenth of a percentage point to 5.9 percent as more people start looking for work. Biden came out and gave a speech touting the numbers. 850,000 jobs. Wages went up for American workers. We've now created over 3 million jobs since it took office. More jobs than have ever been created in the first five months of any presidency in modern history thanks to the incredible work of the entire team. The Congressional Budget Office said that the U.S. deficit is going to hit $3 trillion this year, triple that of 2019, but that the deficit is going to fade away as the economy continues to recover after the pandemic and more revenue comes into the federal government's coffers. Jobless claims fell to 364,000 last week, a new low for the pandemic, and lower than economists had predicted. Biden visited the site of the condo collapse in Sunnyside, Florida this week as the death toll increased to 20, and 128 people were unaccounted for, and offered more federal help for first responders. The president met with the victims of the collapse and with the families of those who've perished, pulling from his own experience with trauma to give a speech telling those he met not to give up hope. Our message today is that we're here for you as one nation, as one nation. The families are very realistic. Reporting has shown that although officially there isn't a particular reason why the building collapsed, the management of the Miami area condo building pleaded with residents to fund repairs and improvements to the building as engineer inspections highlighted glaring foundational problems in the building's pool deck and columns supported in the garage. Rescue workers were debating whether to temporarily stop efforts due to an incoming tropical storm, even asking the question of whether to demolish the rest of the building for the workers' safety. The mayor of Sunnyside has approved the demolishment of the building. North Miami Beach ordered the closure of another building, Crestview Towers Condo, after an engineer found the property unsafe in January, with the city looking to avoid another incident evacuating Crestview's residents in the meantime. The president said that he supports reforming the way the military handles sexual assault allegations within its ranks, taking away discretion from unit commanders and giving cases over to independent military lawyers. The White House rolled out a plan to encourage immigrants to apply for U.S. citizenship, calling on agencies in the federal government to come up with welcoming strategies, including holding ceremonies in parks, displaying posters at USPS buildings, and informing veterans of the benefits of citizenship. The State Department released a list of current and former officials from El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, including the president of Honduras and his wife, who are suspected of corruption and subsequently have pulled their visas. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas ordered his immigration agencies to work on getting back deported veterans and their families who were deported despite promises for a pathway to citizenship. The Justice Department announced that they're investigating electric truck startup company Lordstown Motors revolving around their bid to go public, which the SEC is already looking into. The company said they're cooperating with authorities. Attorney General Mayor Garland announced a temporary halt on federal executions following disparities against minority inmates along with controversy surrounding lethal injections, 
causing a policy restarted by the Trump administration, which facilitated the executions of 13 inmates. There was some drama in the office of the vice president when it was reported that Kamala Harris's chief of staff, Tina Flournoy, kept a really tight lid on access to the vice president, much to the chagrin of Democratic allies and longtime Harris associates. Flournoy served as former President Bill Clinton's post-presidential chief of staff and has been defended by friends and associates. The president released his fifth list of judicial nominees, pulling on candidates from big law firms, unions, and public defender groups to join the Fourth and Ninth Circuits, among others. Biden is reportedly thinking about signing an executive order that would allow federal agencies to conduct stronger antitrust oversight over monopolistic companies, shifting away from simply blocking mega-mergers. Bagram Air Base, the symbol of the U.S. occupation in Afghanistan after 9-11, has finally been given back over to total Afghan control as U.S. troops are withdrawing faster than the scheduled deadline of 9-11 this year. As warning signs show the Islamic fundamentalist Taliban regaining territory all around the country, leading to what some say is an inevitable civil war, one of the last hang-ups before the U.S. completely leaves the area revolves around who will be responsible for protecting the international Kabul airport. General Austin Miller, who's in charge of the Afghan theater, reserved the right to still conduct airstrikes to protect the airbase as troops continue to leave. Biden authorized airstrikes against an Iran-backed militia in Iraq this week that are purportedly responsible for attacks on U.S. troops in the area. The militias vowed revenge, and the Iraqi prime minister called the airstrikes a violation of Iraq's sovereignty. As a matter of domestic law, uh, the president took this action, the airstrikes that were announced yesterday by the Department of Defense, pursuant to Article 2 authority to defend U.S. personnel. The targeted strikes were directed at facilities used by Iran-backed militias involved in these ongoing attacks for purposes including weapon storage, command logistics, and unmanned aerial vehicle operations. So uh, Article 2, the self-defense, the defense of the United States and our interests uh, is our domestic justification for these strikes announced yesterday. 130 countries agreed to sign onto a proposal to create a 15% minimum global tax on companies so as to prevent tax avoidance, but seven countries known for their low tax rate like Ireland, China, and India objected to the agreement. Even if the deal is agreed to, Congress would have to ratify it here. Over at the Congress and starting in the House, keeping true to her word, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced that a separate select committee will be created to investigate the January 6th insurrection by Trump supporters, including what role Trump played that day. The House voted to create the committee 222 to 190 with every Republican against it except Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney, two noted Trump opponents who also voted to impeach him. Minority leader Kevin McCarthy threatened any Republicans that wanted to join the committee that their own committee assignments may be in jeopardy, with McCarthy denying he made the threat at a press conference. It wasn't clear which Republicans would join the committee, with Pelosi announcing that Liz Cheney would agree to join it, while Pelosi appointed seven Democrats, including Benny Thompson, who led the second impeachment trial in the Senate as chair of the committee. The House passed its own $715 billion infrastructure bill, funding transportation and water projects, and a 221-201 party line vote, with only two Republicans joining the Democrats in support. The bill would reauthorize programs that are expiring on September 30th, but would also promote electric vehicles, drinking water standards, and stronger utilities to fight climate change. Transportation and Infrastructure Committee Chair Democrat Peter DeFazio hopes to streamline the Senate's moves on their side as drafting continues for the compromise bill struck between Biden and a bipartisan group of senators, while the president also goes on a tour touting the infrastructure bipartisan compromise. Picking up from where they left off with the Iraq War, Authorization rescission, the House voted 366-46 to repeal two other war authorizations, one related to the 1991 Gulf War and another from 1957 meant for countering, quote, communist aggression. The House also voted 285 to 120 to get rid of the statues in the Capitol of Confederate figures, including former Vice President John Calhoun, former Supreme Court Justice E.D. White, and Roger Taney, with the latter presenting the Dred Scott decision that justified slavery, replacing him with a statue of the Supreme Court's first black justice, Thurgood Marshall. Republicans who voted against the measure gave various reasons for objecting, including opposition to Marshall's Roe v. Wade decision or pointing out supposed hypocrisy of the former Democratic Party that supported slavery. Over at the federal judiciary, while the court gave out a series of rulings in the prior weeks with mixed reviews by liberals and conservatives 
alike, this week the court handed down some more controversial opinions. In a 6-3 ruling, the Supreme Court upheld voting restrictions recently passed by Arizona, further weakening the Voting Rights Act after an earlier decision struck down a key section of the law dealing with federal oversight of southern states with historically racist voting laws. Justice Alito, writing the opinion for the majority, said that restrictions making election officials discard ballots cast at the wrong district and prohibiting ballot harvesting or the collection of ballots for the purpose of delivering them to the polling place did not place a substantial and disproportionate burden on minority voters and that the Arizona laws met a strict scrutiny analysis upholding their constitutionality. Although the rationale for the voting restrictions rested on non-existing cases of voter fraud propagated by Republicans following Trump's loss in 2020. The liberal justices vehemently dissented, with Justice Kagan claiming the majority was destroying a monumental voting rights law. The court also struck down a California law that forced nonprofits to reveal their most prominent political donors in an effort to stave off corruption and fraud. The conservatives delivered the 6-3 victory to conservative nonprofits who said that forcing to reveal their donors is a violation of their donors' First Amendment rights and that the California efforts to safeguard those donors failed with the release of public leaks that showed who the donors were anyway. Chief Justice John Roberts wrote the opinion saying the chilling of free association violated the First Amendment while the dissenters led by Justice Sotomayor were worried about the decision going beyond the nonprofit sector, making it impossible to find out who the top dollar donors are for campaign contributions. The High Court ruled 5-4 in support of the CDC's eviction moratorium policy siding against landlords and rental management companies seeking to start evictions against lieutenants who couldn't pay rent during the pandemic, also saying the CDC didn't have the statutory authority to enact an eviction freeze. SCOTUS also ruled against immigrants who were already deported once and who cite danger if they were to be deported back to their home countries again, with the justices denying requests for the once-deported immigrants to hold bond hearings effectively allowing the government to indefinitely detain them. Counter to a rejected eminent domain case we go over in a bit, the court decided 5-4 in support of a pipeline company seeking to build an oil pipeline through Pennsylvania and New Jersey, saying that a pipeline company which has approval from federal regulators can exercise its own eminent domain against land owned by a state, with Chief Justice John Roberts writing for the majority that the real question was whether a private party can sue a state for condemnation, which is just a judicial proceeding which authorizes eminent domain for public use, overturning a Third Circuit decision that said the pipeline company didn't have the authority to sue the state of New Jersey. While the court handed down important rulings, it also signaled major moves by announcing which cases it won't hear. One was an anticipated LGBT case about a religious florist refusing to service a same-sex wedding, a spiritual successor to the Masterpiece Cake Shop case which gave a religious baker an out instead of servicing a different same-sex wedding. The rejection relieves a lower court ruling against the florist in place. Justices Thomas, Alito, and Gorsuch said that they would have taken the case. Another case the court rejected was about Chicago invoking eminent domain, as we mentioned earlier, or seizing someone's private property and giving it over to a chocolate factory, leaving precedent in place allowing a local government to seize private property and give it to another private owner for economic development purposes. Justices Thomas, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh said the court should have heard the case. The court also rejected to hear a case about a transgender student using the bathroom associated with his gender identity, allowing a lower court ruling from Virginia stand against the school board that brought the lawsuit. SCOTUS also refused to hear a case about federal marijuana laws, with Justice Thomas making the comment that federal laws against weed are now unnecessary due to the confusing mix-up of laws and regulations facilitating the marijuana markets in different states. The Supreme Court agreed to take on a number of cases for the next term. One involves a case brought by Florida about whether a state can get Medicaid reimbursements from the federal government when it comes to an injury settlement beneficiary's future medical expenses, as well as another case looking at Medicare reimbursement programs dealing with hospital purchases of drugs servicing low-income areas and looking at the reimbursement formula for hospitals servicing low-income individuals generally. Okay, now wake up. We're going on to other cases. Although the House is now in control of the Democrats and there's a different guy in the White House, there's still a court battle going on over Trump's compliance with a House subpoena that was doled out last year asking for his tax returns. Trump lawyers told D.C. District Judge Amit Mehta that Trump offered Democrats financial statements pertaining to his businesses before 2016 as a compromise to satisfy the subpoena, but it wasn't enough for the House Democrats saying they need the records to craft legislation preventing future fraud. House General Counsel Douglas Letter projected the assertion that a compromise was offered, rather that Trump's people pitched the private viewing of record samples for a select group of people 
people that can only take notes and no copies. Florida District Judge Robert Hinkle blocked the Florida law that would punish social media companies for blocking posts by politicians, a conservative maneuver trying to prevent the blockage of another incendiary figure like Trump who was blocked by Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and others for his role in the January 6th insurrection. Judge Hinkle granted a preliminary injunction against the law going into effect, finding that the law would most likely be found unconstitutional under the First Amendment. D.C. District Judge James Bolsberg dismissed two complaints from the Federal Trade Commission seeking to rein in Facebook by alleging antitrust violations. Judge Bolsberg said the complaints failed to state an actual claim and were thus legally insufficient in the the state lawsuit against Facebook came too late to challenge purchases of Instagram and WhatsApp, which happened in 2012 and 2014, respectively. The FTC will have another shot at filing the lawsuits. Over in national news, according to the CDC, the COVID infections have jumped by 10%, all thanks to the Delta variant, which arises from India and is 60% more infectious than the original. Missouri, Nevada, Arkansas, Colorado, and Utah are the five states seeing the biggest jump. A new lab test showed that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine showed strong signs fighting against the new Delta COVID variant, according to the company, presenting a possible way to keep the transmissible variant away. A separate study also showed immunity to COVID from the vaccine lasting at least eight months. A separate study showed that Pfizer and Moderna's immunity against COVID can last potentially up to a lifetime due to the mRNA technology utilized by the vaccines. An ABC Washington Post poll found that Americans are increasingly concerned over rising crime throughout the country, but at the same time think that more police isn't the answer, hoping that low-income communities get their needs addressed beyond placing more officers on street corners. Ultimately, a 55% majority believe that increasing funding to police would reduce violent crime. As the country continues to suffer through a record heat wave in various states throughout the West, it's also wildfire season which is only exacerbating things. 9.8% of the U.S. is in exceptional drought, according to climate experts, while 44% is experiencing some level of drought. The extreme conditions are even affecting food prices as farms and ranches are hit with heat that makes it hard to grow at the same pace. At least 63 people have died as a result of a link to the heat wave. President Biden this week said the U.S. must act fast to counteract wildfires during a meeting with Western governors. No, it's not the frozen princess, but a potential hurricane forming in the Caribbean. Elsa became the year's first hurricane heading for Jamaica as of the time of this recording, with a chance of heading to Florida's way right after. In surprise, News Olympic level runner Shikari Richardson tested positive for marijuana, invalidating her recent victory in the 100 meter race last month. Richardson apologized for a positive result and accepted a one month suspension, but she can still qualify for the Olympic 4x100 relay if she is named to the Olympic team. The U.S. anti doping agency received a massive outcry for temporarily banning Richardson over a positive weed result. The Boy Scouts of America, accused by tens of thousands of former Boy Scouts that they were sexually abused during their time as scouts, agreed to settle with the victims for $850 million. The organization filed for bankruptcy as it was sued in 275 different laws lawsuits, with almost 90,000 people coming forward with the sexual abuse claims. The NFL fined the Washington football team, formerly the Washington Redskins, at $10 million for a workplace culture that was highly unprofessional and misogynistic, including bullying and sexual harassment, after independent counsel Beth Wilkinson and her staff interviewed more than 150 current and former team employees. The team's owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder apologized and said he feels great remorse for anyone who had a difficult experience working for the team. After the Supreme Court ruled against the NCAA's attempts to keep money away from college athletes, the athletics organization met and voted to allow athletes to capitalize on their likenesses and skills for the first time. After a public denunciation request to get her out of the conservatorship that has been controlling her affairs for years, L.A. Superior Court Judge Brenda Penny refused to disband the conservatorship and instead kept Spears' father Jamie as a co-conservator, eliciting groans from anyone in the U.S. who wanted to see Spears independent again. The other entity acting as conservator, Bessemer Trust, filed to resign as co-conservator, citing Spears' testimony. Yet it was a different celebrity starting with the letter B that was set free this week, Bill Cosby. The former comedian who was convicted of the drugging and rape of Andrea Constant and faces several other sexual assault accusations was released from prison after the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said a major due process violation voided his conviction. Cosby was promised by a different prosecutor that he wouldn't be prosecuted for the allegations against Constant, but a later prosecutor ignored that promise and went after him anyway, a major violation of prosecutorial discretion. Cosby's accusers decried the ruling, calling it a mere technicality that waved Cosby's actions away. 
The man who defended the war in Iraq and perpetrated the lies that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, former Bush Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld, died this week at the age of 88. Bush fired Rumsfeld in 2006. And that's it for this week's show of the 25th Hour, helping you stay on top of the 24-7 news cycle. Don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts, share us with your friends, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can email your tips and suggestions at the 25th Hour News at gmail.com and become a patron today for as low as $2 a month to support the show at patreon.com slash the 25th Hour News. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. 